This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hello, friend. I'm Jeff Gibbard, and this is my podcast, Shareable. I decided to call it Shareable because the conversations I have with my guests are so good, you got to tell someone about it. Shareable is a variety show of sorts where we talk about culture, relationships, leadership, dating, business, comics, marketing, art, sales, and more. Wherever the conversation takes us, one thing is for sure. This podcast is Shareable. Hey everybody, it's Jeff. Just a real quick housekeeping before we get started. I record all of my episodes over Zoom, uh, unless I get to have somebody in the studio with me live, but that gives me the opportunity to talk to people all over the world and really bring the best guests uh, onto the show. So today I talk with John Jantz. He's amazing. Uh, but I wanted to give you just a heads up that you will notice a little bit of a digitizing effect. It happens sporadically throughout the episode, but it is not consistent throughout the whole episode. So if you notice a little bit in the beginning, uh, it, it does subside uh, shortly into the episode. But I wanted to give you the heads up just so that you knew that it was coming and it's there. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, Shareable. Today, my guest is John Jance. I've been hoping to have you on the podcast, a podcast. I've had several of them, but on a podcast for years, and it just never came about. I never reached out to you. I didn't. I just. I didn't. I didn't take the initiative. And then we got connected through one of my former guests, uh, Lindsay Peterson, who is totally awesome. And here we are having this conversation. So, John, welcome to the show, man. Well, thanks. For- Thanks for finally getting around to ask me. Right. You know, if I had read one of the pages from your new uh, book, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, I probably would have <laughs> taken the initiative because there's a lot of kicks in the ass in that book. Um, so, John, you're the author of six books, including the most recent, which is The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. And you're, I know you're kind of doing the podcast circuit and, and talking to different people and getting the, the word out there about your book. I'm going to just... Uh, wholeheartedly endorse the book right now at the start of the show for those uh, who are looking for a really great uh, kind of daily meditation book um, of especially for the entrepreneur, obviously, uh, this is a book you definitely want to pick up. So uh, before we get to the book, though, I want to uh, take a little bit of time to kind of get to know you a little bit better because we've been connected for shit like a decade on social and our interactions have probably been like tweets passing by each other directly to each other, but that's, that's about it. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about like your background and especially for those who don't know you at all, um, yeah. for my audience, I'd like them to at least know who you are. So you've been an entrepreneur for 30 years now, correct? 30 plus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I think uh, my uh, job op- opportunities felt limited thirty uh, some years ago, and so I thought ah, I'll start my own business. Um, but uh, you know, it, it really is fun uh, over the last couple of decades to see how now so many people want that. I mean, that's what they want to do. Um, it's gotten easier. It's certainly gotten culturally more acceptable. You know, to just you know maybe have a couple side gigs and you know just live in your life that way. Um, but yeah, it, uh, um, you know, when I did it, I don't think I called myself an entrepreneur. I, I just thought I could hustle work and, uh, and, you know, see, you know, make ends meet. That was really kind of how I looked at it. But yeah, now 30 years later, I, I guess it's been quite a journey. So can you give me like the, the kind of 60 second version of, I know duct tape marketing was like really like a big <laughs> break and pivot, but was there anything that kind of came before that? that was like the struggle and then that was the win or did you just kind of come out of the gate and like knock it out of the park with the book that turned into this thing? Well, I, I'd actually owned my own business for about 10 years before uh, duct tape marketing exists. 
existed. My, I, I had the um, clever, innovative name of Jance Communications um, as my, my business uh, when I first started. And, and as I said, I mean, I jokingly say I hustled work, but that's really what I did. I mean, I just did big projects, little projects. Anybody who said, well, can you do this? I said, sure. How hard could that be? Um, um, and, and I really, you know, I went that way for a while. And is this one of those shows where, where you get to reveal your deep secrets? Yeah. This is, some people call this like the entrepreneurial <laughs> therapist couch. Like I, I ask people about their parents and their divorces and like everything. Right. But like we can go deep into it, man. So, so I started, I found that I started working with small business owners too. Cause again, that was just one of the people that said, you know, can you help us? Um, and I, and I really found that I enjoyed working with small business owners more than anything else, uh, but they were really hard. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, they had, didn't have any budget or, you know, even attention spans the way that I had seen, you know, marketing done in kind of the agency way. I had actually worked for an ad agency for about five years before I actually went on my own. That was really the only job I had. Um, and, and so I, you know, I learned a way to work with small business owners and, um, you know, and I continued to hustle work. And um, so the, the deep, it's not really that deep, dark secret, but I, because I do tell people this, but I got a knock on my door one day from the FBI and uh, a subpoena to testify before a grand jury. They were investigating one of my clients uh, for what ended up being, you know, felony racketeering charges. Um, and so they were just talking to everybody that, you know, showed up on the books. Right. And uh, so fortunately I had very, uh, very little of interest to share with them, but it was a real wake up for me to, and, and the wake up was just that, you know, in my heart of hearts, I knew they were doing some fishy stuff, you know, but Hey, they paid my bill. Um, and, and it was kind of a moment when I said, you know what, I, I, I'm, you know, how'd I get there? You know, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to work with exactly who I want, exactly how I want, you know, people that I trust, people that I respect, people that I can actually bring value and who love what I do. Um, and, and that was really the genesis of, of duct tape marketing, or at least this kind of idea that I'm going to, I'm going to scrap everything down to just working with, I'm going to figure out how to work with small business owners because I love working with them. Um, and, and so the approach that I landed on from that really was this idea of, um, and where I could walk in and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the results we hope to get. And here's what it costs. Um, and that to me felt, like a, a way for me to kind of solve my, you know, frustration of working with small business owners. And what I quickly found out is I actually tapped into what is still today one of the greatest frustrations. In fact, increasingly a frustration with small businesses. It's really hard to buy marketing services. Um, and, and as I said, it's gotten worse because everybody's selling a piece of the puzzle. So the fact that somebody was going to come in and say, we're going to start with strategy, we're going to install a system and you're going to know what it costs was kind of music to their ears. Um, and that's, that, that was really the turning point, you know, for me in trying in figuring out saying, yeah, okay, this is how I'm going to attack this. And, um, you, you mentioned my, my first book, you know, duct tape marketing was really just kind of a recounting of me. I, I had actually been selling a course online and, and working with small business owners under this idea of duct tape marketing. Um, and, and really just kind of became the, the compilation of the work I had been doing. I just laid out in duct tape marketing and that's kind of the. Uh, I, I believe at least, you know, why that book has been successful is that, you know, that there was nobody else talking about marketing in that way for the small business, at, at least. And I started to actually attract other agencies and independent marketing consultants uh, around the world who, uh, who then now uh, license. In fact, I've got about 150 uh, of those folks that, that use our system, work with, you know, at any given month, you know, a thousand to 2000 small business owners, 
uh, installing, as we say, the duct tape marketing system. That is really cool. Um, I actually just started a business called the Superhero Institute that is looking to work with freelancers, entrepreneurs, and small businesses. And one of the things that in my kind of previous uh, work in my agency, I had my own agency for seven years, and then I went to another agency for a year and a half. So it was very difficult to work with small businesses. So I don't know why when I came out of this, I thought I'm going to go back to that well. But uh, (laughs) it's kind of amazing that you were able to build a business on small businesses because so often it's difficult you want to go up market as quickly as possible so you can get those higher margins and charges yep. the fees, but somehow you kind of like crack the code there. And and I'm not sure if that's, would you think that's something that was kind of like a sign of the times? Like at that time where you started it, it was just that there was a good window of opportunity and now maybe not as much, or do you think that there's still like, if you had to start over right now, would you do the same yeah. thing? Well, the need is definitely there um, and, and probably gotten bigger. Um, one of the things that didn't exist, you know, because again, this was really at the early on uh, part of the, the digital uh, marketing and the online marketing. And so what was happening was you, you had this, uh, you know, kind of massive explosion of small business owners going, hey, all we used to do is buy a Yellow Pages ad, you know, now what? <laughs> um, and, and so the opportunity was, there's no question the opportunity was there because there was such flux. The opportunity is still there. I mean, we, you know, the, the challenge is there's so many people now going after that part of the market and, and you know, some for, for evil, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, you know, you've got the, uh, the SEO companies and the software companies and the, you know, the, the people that used to sell Yellow Pages ads now going after uh, that, you know, that market. And, and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, just offering kind of low cost but low value, um, you know, things for them. And so we do a whole, we still do a whole lot of, fixing and unpacking, you know, stuff that, that, you know, somebody sold to somebody that, you know, that, that didn't work. And, you know, that's one of the things that really uh, not only drives me, but drives me crazy when I, I walk in and I'm not picking them all SEO people, but they seem to be the most guilty when I walk into a small business that's been spending a couple grand a month with an SEO firm. And I, and I literally have to ask them, what have they been doing for you? Um, and, and so that, that dynamic is actually, I think, made it harder because there, there's such a lack of trust now in small business owners in some cases, you know, rightly so. Um, but the opportunity is they know they need to do what's going on. They know the world's changing. And so in a lot of ways, what, what they're most in search of is somebody they can trust. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that opportunity, if you're, if you can, communicate, you can prove to them that you get results, you, you know, you can show them the ROI, uh, then, you know, the, the, the market's still huge. It's interesting because I, it, you know, I've worked in the social media industry for the last 10 years and I've been kind of transitioning, not out of it entirely, but just to kind of broaden what I talk about. Sure. And the example you just gave is sort of like, it highlights both the, the success and the failure of the, the quote unquote, the market, right? So, on the one hand, if you suck at what you do, you're not going to be able to bring in the business. On the other hand, and if you're good at it, you're hopefully going to be able to like come in and, and do that cleanup job. On the other hand, there's no barrier to entry for somebody to come in and pretend that they know what the hell they're talking about. And and I, I will levy the charge that SEOs are quite guilty, but being in the social media industry for the last 10 years, I've never seen such a, a hodgepodge of charlatans and snake oil salesmen who you know have six <laughs> months of experience and like are advising businesses and trying to charge exorbitant fees. So, I mean, I guess I would kind of look at in your experience being an entrepreneur and seeing this particular world, what do you think are some of the things that need to be fixed or adjusted 
to make it more equitable, to make it more, to make it so that we can build more trust out there? Like, is there any, yeah. any sort of, I don't know, maybe not regulations, but like sort of like yeah. what, what's broken right now that you think we need to fix? Well, I, I, I think, as you mentioned, anytime there's something new, so social media was new, then, you know, Facebook advertising is new. I mean, websites were new at one time. You're always going to have people that are just, you know, they, like you said, they built one website. So because it's new, a lot of people don't understand it. You know, you, it's easy to sell that. Um, and, and, you know, the, I, I don't know if there's anything that you can really do about that. But I always, I always advise um, consultants and, 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 you know, business owners, this is what we've been saying forever is, is if somebody's talking to you and they're not talking about strategy before they ever start talking about a solution, then, then, you know, run for the hills. I mean, unless you're, unless your business is, you know, selling a $29 product that you just need to make sure that, you know, you spend lots of ad dollars on, you know, driving eyeballs to that $29 product. You, you, you know, you better be talking 90% of the businesses out there better be talking uh, about who makes an ideal client, why they make an ideal client, you know, how they, uh, how their business is different from everybody else that says they do what they do. If you're not here, uh, you're just asking to waste money. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I actually used to have in my copy, um, anytime I was in a new business sort of situation, even on my website copy that basically like some agencies will uh, just jump right into solutions. We always yep. start with strategy. And if you see someone not talking about strategy, yeah. you shouldn't trust yeah. that person. So I'm in hundred percent alignment with you. Yeah. I, I would say the other element too is um, a, a lot of what makes effective marketing today. This has always been true, but it, it's just gotten harder now is uh, integration. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, I scratch my head when I walk into an organization, they've got a web designer, somebody else is, you know, writing content, they've got an SEO person, they've got a pay-per-click person, they've got a social person, and none of these people are talking to each other, <laughs> you know, it's like, how does that work? How could that possibly work? You know, the real value in any of these channels, in many cases, is, is how you're actually able to leverage, you know, integration and, and them all working together. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's certainly another thing that, you know, so it's why the approach we've taken is we want to be your marketing department. Um, because, uh, you know, it's very hard. Like we get asked all the time, you know, can you just come do SEO? Well, if the website structure isn't right, if you don't have any content, how could, how are we going <laughs> to do any SEO for you? So I, you know, that's always been our approach is that, that, you know, marketing is a system and, and it works better if you uh, are able to get all the parts working. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I'm, I'm building a talk right now called Confluence, and it's about truly integrated marketing, yeah. taking yeah. in traditional marketing as well as digital marketing, SEO, paid search, uh, social, paid social, content marketing, all that, and, and integrating it together. The yeah. thing that I found so challenging working in social is that because it was so new, we had yeah. to really earn our seat at the table, and we were always at the kids' table, and the SEOs got to finally, but you know, towards the the tail end of the time I've been in digital, they've started to get their seat at the table, but social is still like, Oh, you just handle the Facebook ads, but the kids right. get on the TikTok with yeah. the college students. Um, so yeah, it's been frustrating. Well, let me ask you a little bit about uh, just from a strictly business perspective, like, you know, kind of taking aside like the, I guess the, the, the market conditions of building a business um, and looking specifically at like the, the kind of structural building a business You've been doing this for a long time. I know when I started my first company, well, I, all of my companies, there have been certain kind of challenges that I've seen in getting it up and running, whether it's, you know, the, the, in Philadelphia, the city tax system is, is bananas or like, you know, there's all these different uh, issues when you hire people, whatever. 
over the time you've been in business, what are some of the biggest uh, challenges you've seen in, in growing and scaling this business that are external, not the internal stuff? Because yeah. I want to get to those later, but and yeah. a lot of your book really talks a lot more about like kind of what's on the inside. So I want to ask yeah. first about like what's on the outside that's, that was challenging for you over the time that you've been building stuff? Well, I, I think probably the thing that's always been the hardest for me and, and you know, I, maybe it's just it taps into kind of a blind spot for me, but, uh, you know, even though it's gotten so easy to, to outsource things to folks to get, you know, inexpensive resources in other parts of the world to, you know, to do everything sort of virtually, um, I, I, I still think there is a huge place for people in an organization that are excited about what the mission of the organization is. But everything else has gone down in cost except people. Um, and so, you know, a lot of organizations still really struggle with that idea of while we can outsource all this, is that the right decision? And so, uh, you know, in the interviews I've done in the working with the organizations, you know, people managing people, finding good people, investing in people is probably the biggest uh, challenge, you know, and, and it's sort of ironic because, you know, we're in this world where you can actually run a business without talking to anyone, you know, ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I still think that, that a lot of why we do this stuff is to have impact on people. Um, and I think that impact, you know, happens as an organization grows happens because the people that are attracted to that organization are also there to, to serve or deliver that same value that, that the organization stands for. Got it. So how'd you make it 30 years even doing this? Cause entrepreneurialism sucks, man. Like it's awesome, but it sucks. <laughs> like we, we can all kind of agree every, I think every entrepreneur has their like, maybe like Wednesday fantasy of like going and getting the nine to five. Maybe it's not an every Wednesday, but you have those days. Yeah. Like I know that over, I've been doing this maybe 10 years overall, uh, running my own thing, doing my own thing. And it's, it's a challenge, man. And maybe it's just, you know, where I'm at in, in the world and, and friends with other entrepreneurs. And it seems like everybody I know, it's just a struggle. You wouldn't do anything else. You wouldn't seriously consider anything else, but it's a struggle. You've made it more than 30 years in doing this. What's the secret to making it that long and not losing your mind? Cause you seem like yeah. you're, you're well put together. You've written six books. Like you're easy to talk to. Like, how'd you not go crazy? I, I, you know, this is a really simple answer, but I love what I do. I mean, I'm still very excited about it. Um, I'm, you know, I have an insatiable curiosity and that really drives me to, to explore new things. And, and I, you know, I actually get bored if everything's running perfectly. Um, and so, you know, I think that, 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 you know, that is, as cliche as it kind of sounds, I mean, that's what keeps me going and, the, and what's kept me, you know, in this for so long is that I love, I truly love what I'm doing and I truly love the people that I work with. Have you ever had any um, like moments, not moments of doubt, but like, so, so, so working in social media and yeah. from my perspective of is it, I got to a point where I got kind of sour on it. Right. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Everyone's all polarized. All of a sudden, it's just run by brands and all the humanity seems to have seeped out of it. And I'm just like, what did I choose to put my chips on? Yeah. You've been in marketing for 30 years and there's all these different aspects of marketing you've been involved in. And you've had to obviously be very flexible over the time. But I mean, have there been points where you've been like, what the, what the hell am I doing? 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. And again, I, you know, I think that probably what's held my business together is I, I'm very agnostic about the tools, uh, about the things that came along. My point of view is that marketing is a system. And if you install a system that serves an ideal client, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, and so a lot of times when I would look at say Twitter, when Twitter first came along, you know, and a lot of people's initial reaction was, you know, well, how stupid is that? You know, it's like this river of sewage floating by me every day. Why, you know, why do I want to get in that? What I chose to do is, is look at that tool and say, okay, you have existing clients. How could this be a tool to help you serve those existing clients better? Um, and, and just go right down the list. You know, if I'm trying to help somebody decide, is this a place I should be or is this a tactic I should do? You know, that's, that's to me the big filter. And when people I think got in trouble is they looked at that and said, oh, not only is this the new thing, it's the thing. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, they, they kind of jumped on it as though it was like this thing outside of what the objective of the business was, which was to get and keep a customer. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's where a lot of, you know, and there were a lot of people, I mean, we all know businesses and you know, influencers that, you know, basically took advantage of the fact that Twitter didn't have a user guide when it first came out um, and built, you know, their entire brand and their entire business around that um, and quickly found that that was, you know, kind of built on sand. Um, my business for right or wrong has been built on a point of view. Um, and I think that that's been what has, has given sort of the staying power of, of the duct tape marketing brand. So, um, having that kind of like guiding ideal um, I think is, is it's obvious that that's a, that's a, um, it's like a superpower almost like it's, it's a, it's a driving force to get you there. But I've yeah. seen you, I know you've written about and talked about and some of your posts in, or, or some of the, the pages inside the new book, um, self-reliant entrepreneur, you talk a little bit about those moments of kind of like conflict where you are mm -hmm. out of mm -hmm. sync with what your values are or out of sync with it. You yeah. on clients you shouldn't be with. Um, and I, and you mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast where like you, you had like kind of the gut feeling, would you say that over the time you've been an entrepreneur, your gut has gotten better or that you're better at listening to or better recognizing yeah. when you should listen to it? Or is it, has it kind of just stayed the same? And because we all, I think even on my first day as an entrepreneur, I knew when I had that client that I was like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't take this guy. And then I did. And then it worked out terrible. <laughs> But I had that same gut feeling and I've had it, I had it eight years later and I was like, I should not take this client on. And I did. And it was terrible. Did yeah. your gut get any better? Is there any hope for us? <laughs> I, I think it probably does get better if you're paying attention. I mean, that's, that's certainly one of the things that, that I've experienced. I'm a lot more patient than I used to be uh, because I, I, I do see that like if something happens that I frame as like, oh, that wasn't the way I wanted to go, or, you know, that was bad, or that was a failure, you know, over the course of 30 years of doing this, I have experienced repeatedly that something better showed up because of it. You know, it's like, that wasn't supposed to happen, you know, and when you're chasing a check, you know, it's like, eh, it's hard to feel that way. Um, but I, I think, through the sort of lens of hindsight, um, a lot of times when something happens or, you know, something doesn't go the way I wanted or I thought it was going to go, um, I actually kind of look then for like, okay, you know, what was supposed to happen because it's going to show up and, and, you know, we can get into all like how the universe works, <laughs> but I think that that's, uh, that's a component of the universe that, uh, that if you 
let go and and stop trying to control the things you have no control over, which is 90% of life, um, you know, the, the ride is a little smoother. It's I, that like so resonates with me in like the most painful way, because after every <laughs> one of these kind of like shit storms, like the most yeah. beautiful thing happens afterwards, but you right. have to go through all of that horribleness. Um, and like, I'm not like super woo woo about it, but I, at the same time, I do have to kind of question like, well, crap, like that <laughs> did, if the good came right after all of that, maybe that, maybe that should have happened or maybe I should just keep my eyes open more. It's, um, yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of an interesting thing that happens for us. Do you think that there's any rule that all entrepreneurs should follow? I mean, is there like a kind of a set of guiding principles that you think are kind of universal in the world of entrepreneurialism? I mean, you said serve the customer and I kind of feel like that's a, that's a good one, right? Like kind of have your eye towards providing value for that, that audience. Um, Yeah. Is there, I mean, is that one of them? Are there any things that you think are kind of- Well, I, you know, I think everybody's different. I mean, I, I will tell you that, that you know, to make this thing, you know, joyful and happy like it should be, um, I know that that I've always been drawn to um, not only serving folks, but but serving folks who love what I do. So there's kind of this mutual, you know, we need each other and we're helping each other and um, we're, all, we're both delivering value. Um, that to me is, is something, but, but I also, um, again, I'm just going to give you my opinion because that, that's sort of the ironic thing about writing a book, uh, teaching people how to be self-reliant is kind of the self parts really on you. Yeah. <laughs> and so no book's going to teach you that. Uh, it's going to maybe offer some ideas for you to consider. Uh, but I know for me, another thing that has been really important is to not get locked into this is exactly how everything's supposed to go, or this is my path, you know, for the rest of my life or, um, because I, I, first off, we know things are going to change, but I think secondly, you know, you see a lot of people who kind of wither and die because they're not constantly looking for new ways to stretch and to grow and to push themselves. And so, you know, that's one thing that, that I have done repeatedly, almost everything that, that I can somehow say I'm good at now today, I was terrible at, you know, but I knew it was an important element, you know, writing a book. I was not really a particularly good student um, and, and, you know, didn't, uh, didn't, I mean, I loved reading, uh, but I hadn't done any writing. Um, I decided that was going to be a good way to grow my business. And I started writing and boy, is some of my early stuff awful, you know, but I knew it was going to lead to something. And so I just did it. I've written over 4,000 blog posts. Um, now and and you know six books, which uh, I think adds up to you know half a million words um, in in you know in those published books. But I didn't know how to do any of it. I wasn't trained in how to do it. Public speaking is another thing. I've done a tremendous amount of of workshops and conferences, and you know again, first time I did it was the first time I'd done it. <laughs> you know, and I just uh, uh, just said, hey, I think that's an important element. I'm going to go out and start uh, talking to anybody that'll. Uh, let me talk. So I, I just think trying to experience uh, new things uh, is uh, is the only way you're going to grow. And if you're not growing, you're going the other way. You you like strike me as like so flexible about things. I'm curious if yeah. you've ever encountered something where you were like, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out or like, so I'm only 39 and I've had moments where I'm like, I am too old for that nonsense. Like, like <laughs> came around and I was like, I'm done. I don't have time for this nonsense. Like, yeah. If it becomes big, I'll check in on it later. I'm not trying to get there early and like, yeah. you know, short sell attention or whatever Gary, these thing is like, I'm just going to let this one go by and I'm going to focus on like growing my business and doing my thing. Have you, I mean, 
it sounds like you're like super open to trying and adopting new things, but have you ever had yeah. a moment where maybe not because of the merit of it, but just, you're like, I'm tired, I'm over it. I'm yeah. not going to do it. Um, I think there definitely are times when I've done that, but again, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. You know, I think a lot of times where people get in trouble is they're, they're like, Oh, Gary V is talking about TikTok, So I better, you know, I better check that out, make it part of my thing. Um, I've always just looked at, you know, who I'm trying to serve and is that something that's, that they're going to get value. I don't want to be seen as the TikTok person. <laughs> I want to be seen as the person that delivers value to my customers. That would be a big um, pivot for you, I think. <laughs> what's that? I think that would be a big pivot for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you see the point there? I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble is they've, they've seen people like Gary Vee, you know, rise to stardom by, you know, just talking their butts off about some new thing, you know, earlier than everybody else. And that becomes kind of attractive to people, but I'm not sure who that serves, <laughs> you know? And, and of course, a lot of, you know, all those people that were on uh, Vine and, um, you know, the experts on Periscope, I mean, are now scrambling for the next new thing, you know, to, to try to hook their brand onto. And, and, and you know, that, that sort of having to restart because you were, you know, betting on a technology or a platform, I think has gotten a lot of businesses in trouble. Yeah, there's, there's almost like a universal quality to the stuff that you talk about. Like there's this underlying principle. It's like, don't go for the, the sizzle, go for the steak. Like yeah. just focus on like, what are the core principles, serve the audience, yeah. um, look for the different technologies going to help you accomplish your purpose. Like it's very, so it's, it's interesting. It's like a no, uh, it's like a no frills, no bullshit kind of approach to like, this is actually how you do this stuff. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah, marketing, here's the secret nobody wants to die. Marketing hasn't really changed. The way that people buy has changed and the way they can buy has changed. But but what we're what we're trying to do as businesses hasn't changed. Um, who is it that said the only I think it was Peter Drucker who said the only two ah, functions yeah. in a business that matter are marketing and innovation? That's right. So funny. That's, uh, that's probably um, that that book um, uh, there, or that quote just came out of a book called The Practice of Management. And I tell people all the time, you know, especially if you can get past some of the archaic language, it's probably one of the best uh, entrepreneur books out there. Oh, right on. I'll have to add that to my list. One of my favorites of all time is um, The E-Myth Revisited. Yeah. yeah. Like you know, Michael wrote uh, uh, the foreword for Duct Tape Marketing. Oh, right on. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um well, speaking of books, I absolutely love your new book. Uh, it is very different from your your prior ones, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it is like this strange mix that, that doesn't quite nestle into self-help or into marketing. It's like in this, I don't even know what category you put it in in Amazon, but it uh, probably... It, it, it probably, uh, it's in some it, bizarre ones. Yeah. Uh, well, it reminds me a little bit, I, I mentioned this before we jumped on and started recording, but it reminds me a little bit of like a collection of like Seth Godin-like blog posts um like you've got the uh the short profound little idea and then you've got the challenges to come with it uh the you know the calls to action uh and i, I mentioned i have a similar book I'm, I'm thinking of writing but um what i love about it is that it's I, I get a really good feeling as i go through it you know as i'm going through the different posts it's uplifting it's yeah. honest and it's filled to the brim with integrity which for me in all the stuff i'm doing right now with the superhero institute integrity and honesty and like making the world a better place is like super important 
So um, one of the things that was really hard for me in this interview, I, I spent a lot of time prepping to talk to you because I was like, you know, finally got the chance for us to, to connect was that I, I found myself in looking through this book, like, I just wanted to ask you like 20 or 30 of the, the challenging questions. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a few of them later on. Okay. Um, but you know, I it just one just want to say what a great uh, book you put together. I want to start with purpose. Thank you. Because you talk a lot about purpose, you, you've mentioned it here a little bit. And I think purpose is a really big topic that we don't discuss nearly enough in business. And I think if we did, we probably would see a lot less of the shenanigans that we see going on in business right now, all the stuff that's causing us to not trust businesses, all the Mm -hmm. stuff that's, you know, it's just the bad press. If we had a a stronger sense of purpose in the business, I think the the employees would hold the business more accountable and the the business would run more ethically. I want to just start by asking you, what does purpose mean to you? Like, what is it? Define it. Uh, What does it mean to you? Well, it is a hot topic. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, you probably find a, a, a retreat or a course or something on, you know, how do you find your purpose? Um, to me, it's always been, uh, and, and it remains for a lot of people, very elusive, you know, because it's, I don't think it's something you find. I think it's something that finds you. Um, and, and that's why I really talk about this idea of go out and experience a lot of things. I mean, I have people come to me all the time. They're like, I want to work in this niche, you know, because there's an opportunity there. And I'm like, do you even know if you're going to like working with dentists or accountants yeah. or whatever it is they're saying? I mean, go out and try it, you know, before you like, uh, you know, sell all the, the other domain names that you have and, and uh, you know, experience life because that's how you're going to figure out um, what you like to do and what you like to enjoy. But I think also a lot of times people try to find like the sense of purpose that sounds good. Um, And I don't care how good something sounds. I think our purpose is going to be lived out through our core values. You know, who we're being, you know, (laughs) what line we won't cross, what we're proud of doing. And if we use that, that, that filter, you know, that, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's love and hope and curiosity and, and adventure. You know, those are things that if I'm bringing those to every meeting, if I'm bringing those to every email I write, I'm bringing those, you know, into um, kind of every decision I make in my business. I, I can't help but live my purpose. I absolutely love that. Um, I've been writing a lot about the, the topic of purpose recently. And I think a lot of people, when you say purpose to them, they hear reason. Like what's, yeah, your, what's yeah. your purpose for doing it? And they yeah, know what's your yeah. reason for doing it? So it becomes yeah. very like, like day-to-day tactical about it. And I, I sure. like how in, by introducing values into that, you make it a little bit of a, a larger idea. And, and I want to tie this to one of the posts that you have in your book. Um, you have one of the posts is called Immortal Impact, which to me sounds like it's a post really about legacy when I read it. Like what's, yeah. the, what's the work that you're leaving behind? What's the impact of your life's work that you're leaving behind? Um, so when I define purpose, when I talk about purpose, I'm usually looking at it as like, if you were to uh, confront the fact that one day you're not going to be here, yeah. your life's work is being left behind. The answer to the question, what is your purpose is what you left behind, right? Like what is the yeah. thing that you would yeah. go forth and do? So now I'm going to ask you your challenge question, a challenge question back to you, which is what would you give up to leave behind your most extraordinary legacy? Is that in the book? No, it's, it's a, it's oh, a, okay. a tweak <laughs> of one of yours because, All right. you know, I know that you probably have a lot of things that you want to go forth and do with the rest of yeah. your career. You've already had the six books. You've done all the different things you've done. Yeah. There's things you want to do and a legacy that you want to leave behind. So what's that legacy and what would you give up to get that? Yeah. 
So I've already um, experienced this exercise. One of the things uh, that, uh, you know, w- when you start to experience some level of, you know, even in this small, you know, online world, author world, you know, you start to experience some uh, level of what people would call fame. You know, you, you really start, uh, you know, you really start thinking that everybody thinks you're really smart and that you have all the answers and that you have to have all the answers. That's when it actually gets even worse. Um, so, so to me, me giving up the need to be right, um, giving up the need to have you know the answer that ever, to everybody's question rather than empowering them to actually come up with the answer themselves um, was a big turning point for me. And I you know I've I've I wrote this book last year, but I've been I feel like I've been journeying to write this book for twenty years. Um, you know, entrepreneurism is one of the greatest self development programs ever created, um, and and I've definitely been you know, very, very deeply involved in, in trying to understand how to be, make a better me. Um, and, and one of the things that, that I think was really holding me back was this, this need, you know, to feel like I had to have the answers or I had to be right all the time. And uh, once I released that, once I gave that up, I felt like uh, my relationships with, uh, with partners and, and vendors and clients and pretty much everybody I you know, come into contact with day to day. I mean, I get, 50 emails a day from people, you know, asking me questions. Um, and, uh, uh, that, that element is something I'm very conscious of, uh, of making that change. That's very poignant. I have a real desire to always be right. So maybe I'll take that one on myself. Uh, yeah. And, and, and do you ever find that, I mean, it actually, you're actually willing to stick with it long enough to where you're actually realized this is actually making me a jerk. You know, but in this, you know, conversation or in this relationship, you know, I mean, um, and, and it, it's really a pretty, pretty potent voice. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I probably have had plenty of times where I didn't realize I was being a jerk, but I think I'm pretty self-aware when I'm being stubborn and the right. need to be right. But then I, I was also taking it to, to be like, almost like, don't be a bullshitter, right? Like don't pretend yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to know about every topic. Right. You don't have to be the Oracle of all knowledge to be yeah. valuable to someone, just know what you know, and then admit when you don't know what you don't know. Well, and, and I, I tell you, um, um, there's a book called the coaching habit by, um, Michael Pagani. I always get his middle name wrong. Stanier. Um, and there was an, uh, an element in that that I thought was really amazing was, you know, as a leader, a lot of times people will ask you questions because you've empowered them to come to you. You've actually trained them to come to you for the answers. And that it's, it's extremely, extremely valuable to go, well, what would you do? Or what do you think, you know, as opposed to giving the answer? Because a lot of times they have the answer, but they just have been, you've trained them to, you know, get permission, you know, from you. Um, when if you turn around and go, well, what would you do? You know, they might have a brilliant answer or a better answer even, um, but they've also now been given permission to think for themselves. And, and you know, that as simple as it sounds was a huge, you know, teaching moment for me uh, when it comes to kind of leading people. Yeah, that's a really good one. I like that. I um, My wife... Um moved into a management position over the last three years and we routinely uh, have discussions about like things that happened for her at work. And she asked my opinion because I've had a, a longer time managing people. And, um, and probably there's not an, there's not enough times where I do that, but I do remember times where I've turned it back around on her and say, well, what do you think you should do here? And she'll come back with either the exact same answer that I would have given her or the right. exact same answer I would have given her and then embellishing upon it and doing a lot more, or she would have come back with something I wouldn't have even thought of. And it actually teaches me something. So 
Um, that's a, it's a really good kind of like callback to remember that you can, you don't have to know everything. You don't know who's after. <laughs> well, he says, uh, Michael says in the book that I love this. He says, you know, just because people ask you a question doesn't mean they want the answer. Um, and I, I think that is so true. Yeah. That's another good point. I'm going to pick that book up and put that on, put that in the show notes too, just in case anybody wants to pick it up too. I'll read it. Um, all right, I want to talk a little bit about marketing. Um, cause you know, I, I mentioned a little bit, I kind of, I have this weird relationship to marketing right now because I, I just, maybe it's just because of like the lens of how I'm focused on it, but I don't feel the same excitement that I once did about it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time and you've adopted a lot of different technologies over that time and you coach a lot of different types of businesses. So like you, you, you have staying power in it and I'm, I'm interested about that. Um, first I want to know, is there a particular aspect of marketing? And I know that, one of the answers to this would probably be like start with strategy and building systems and strategy. Yeah, is it yeah, an aspect yeah. of marketing that you feel is kind of like your core thing? Like mine was social media. I know you co-wrote a book on SEO. Like, is there a particular thing you think is like your, your kind of top of your pyramid? Well, I, I, I feel like I'm really good at messaging and strategy for, for sure. Um, and that could just be, you know, there's a creative element to that. Uh, I'm not the most creative person, but I certainly uh, lean that way. Uh, and then, you know, combine that with seeing lots and lots of, you know, non-creativity in, in small business owners when it comes to strategy. Um, I feel like that's a part that is a secret sauce to duct tape marketing a little bit um, and to my work. Um, but I also think that, uh, um, you know, you, you mentioned the superheroes, you know, um, you know my superpower um, it, it has always, I feel like, been curiosity you know, I, I love to look at the new thing. I love to, you know, move forward. I love to teach people, you know, how to do things. And, you know, that's probably an element that has, uh, that's added to, to some staying power is that, uh, you know, we've freely, I, I mean, I've told everybody everything I know how to do, you know, in some format or, or, or another. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of openness and willingness to share and, and teaching um, aspect you know, is, has, uh, I think served us really well. Got it. Um, in terms of like being able to be flexible, adapt and try new things and everything, um, you know, you've seen, you've seen kind of things come and go. Are there any things that you look out into the future and you say, because of what I've seen over the time I've been in marketing, that there's a, there's a particular, cause I, I do a lot of guest lectures and talk with a lot of people that are just coming out of college yeah. or coming out of grad school. And they're like, I want to get into digital marketing. What should I do? And often I'll tell them that I think that the two places they should go are strategy and data analysis, right? Those are yeah, the places yeah, yeah, there's yeah. money. Um, and then anytime you're kind of like in the day-to-day grind of just like you send out the emails, whatever, you're basically just like a hired hand. And it's yeah. not until you get to data analysis and strategy that you have any real potential. I'm curious your take on that. Like where would you advise somebody that wants to get into marketing nowadays to kind of start out their career or uh, a, a vertical within the world of marketing that you think is a, a strong starting place? I, I think your uh, strategy is great. Um, it, you know, you're not going to hire a 22 year old to do your strategy. Yeah, I mean, that. so you've got that kind of going against you right now, um, but you will hire a 22 year old to do paid search. Um, I would say if I were going to, you know, if I were going to advise somebody to, to really focus, if they wanted to start a business that, that they could first off make a lot of money, but secondly, also uh, if they're, you know, if they like, there's a creative aspect to it, there's an analysis, a data analysis aspect to it. There is a communication aspect to it. 
um, the, the, the companies that, that do well in that space um, not only can handle the technical part, they can actually communicate <laughs> with their clients and they actually do communicate with their clients as far as what they're doing, why it's working, why it's not working. So uh, that to me, if, if you were just looking at like the growth area, uh, that to me is not going away. It's only going to get bigger. The social platforms, you know, are banking, you know, on, on uh, search, you know, Google's uh, uh, entire uh, ecosystem is built around uh, paid ads, uh, even though people think it's a search engine. Um, so, you know, I think that that, that area, you know, if I were getting into marketing would be the area that I would, I would spend a whole lot of time on. It's also an area of where, you know, you, you know, you get a couple of certifications, you do a couple of campaigns and you're so far, you know, so much farther ahead already than, you know, a lot of people. And I, and I'm not, I'm really not, there are a whole lot of people selling the $5,000 Facebook advertising course. And I, I'm really not talking about that. Um, I'm talking about, you know, working with, you know, organizations that, uh, invest significantly in paid search uh, for you know the the survival of their business on a global scale, um, and and that's you know that to me is an area that's still pretty wide open. All right, so let me. I, I don't want to say challenge you on it, but let me ask you this somewhat challenging question. Mm-hmm. Technology is progressing rapidly, and it happened yeah. for the last ten years, and I feel like it's getting faster. I could be wrong, but with AI and machine learning, yeah. things like paid advertising how susceptible do you think that is to actually being just completely overtaken and run by AI platforms sure. kind of pushing that job? So, I mean, like it just in terms of like advising someone to, to think about going into that yep. and you could say, yeah, sure. We need people to run those machines, but at some point will we, and you know, I, I guess just is, is it possible that that job will just completely go away because of AI and machine learning? Are you, do you have any concerns about what that's going to do to marketing in general? Yeah, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, Google would tell you that they could do that now, you know, with their campaigns. But um, you want Google running your campaigns, do you? I don't know. <laughs> guess, guess what they're going to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to find this the, the fastest way to suck as much money out of you as possible and call it AI. I guess um, is, is, is my view. Yeah. Um, and I think that while they've gotten incredibly, incredibly better, you know, over the last 15 years, I still think that the element of human intent um, in, you know, in search campaigns, paid search campaigns, um, is going to be something that's going to remain a creative uh, art. There's no question machines can do things faster. They can do things to a certain degree, I think, today, as well as, you know, any human being. Um, But I, I think we're still talking about, you know, human beings, you know, doing the search, doing the purchase, you know, responding to the message uh, in a way that, you know, we're still, I think we're still a long way away from, you know, that job going away. Hmm. All right. I'll buy it. I, I'm, I'm less optimistic. About it. You strike me as very optimistic about all this stuff. And maybe I've just become very pessimistic about all this stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you think about things like, um, so for instance, like algorithms in, in social media are, uh-huh. are driven by outrage to a certain extent that outrage yeah. sell engagement sells, right? That's the stuff that gets more okay. eyeballs, more clicks, it spreads. And at the same time, you could probably build out some ads that will get more clicks by creating controversy or by using sure. psychological tricks, this and that. Um, and you strike me as someone who really approaches things like very honestly. I mean, throughout your entire <laughs> book, there's a lot of things yeah. about questioning your intention. Why are you doing, what are you doing? What's the purpose behind it? All these sort of, 
questions. How do you how do you kind of parse together your your seemingly optimistic worldview about all this stuff with the fact that there's all of this other more nefarious stuff taking place, like dark patterns in in web yeah. design and UX, uh, yeah. get people to take actions. I mean, will good ultimately prevail over evil in your perspective? Because I guess I'm just looking at it as like, oh God, all of the nasty stuff seems to be just yeah. increasing and it's everywhere. I choose to focus on what I can control, which is how I show up and how I respond. Those are the only two things I can control. Um, and I think we, it's really easy to spend a lot of energy on stuff like you just described, but I'm not sure how you know spending or expending that energy on that's going to uh, bring any joy into my life. I, you know, I completely agree with you. And, and the reason I'm asking the questions is because this is actually what was going through my head as I was reading through the, the pages of The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. I'm reading it. And I was like, yes, I believe that. I flip another page. I'm like, hell yeah, that. But then I have all of this <laughs> creeping crap coming into my head of everything that I see when I go online. I see all of this nastiness, so all these different things. So I wanted to talk to you about how, how you parse together those things. And I think your perspective is unsurprisingly, like a very straightforward and simple way of, of looking at it. So I want to talk to you a little bit about congruence. I heard you talk yeah. a little bit on, um, I heard you on Grant Baldwin's podcast. You talked a little yeah. bit about it and I was like, I want to talk more about that. So, yeah. uh, you have this post in the book on congruence, this idea that like, essentially you're trying to create, um, uh, alignment between kind of who you want to be and who you are, the decisions that you want to make versus decisions that you do make, this kind of idea of bringing yeah. those things together. And, and you strike me as someone who has learned how to do that very well. Um, I guess to start out with, for those who maybe have never heard the word congruence or just don't know anything that I just said, can you define a little bit what you mean when you say congruence? Well, that, that, that your, your thoughts and words and actions are in alignment. You know, you, you do what you say, you, you are who you are. Um, people aren't getting, you know, something fake uh, from you, you know, in one, one uh, setting and something else in another. I mean, you, it's a really simple way to live, you know, cause you're not, you don't have to remember your lies. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> so, so you want to work with a certain type of client, right? Like, so you, yeah. mean you want to work with clients that love what you do and you love what yep. they do. Right. And, and I guess this is kind of one of the things when I was reading through, like so many of the things that you say in the book and that the ideas that you're putting out there and just the way you come across, I'm, I'm so on board with. But when I think about some of those days that you have as an entrepreneur, sure. you know, payroll's coming up yep. or you got to pay yourself and it's just not there or there's a bill or there's a client that just decided to walk away, even though you did all the work that you said you were going to do, just all this stuff that happens, right? And you want to be that high ideal yeah. entrepreneur that, that you know, you want to not compromise on your values, but the world, your rent, your mortgage, your healthcare bills, whatever it is, almost necessitates that you chase that dollar. Yeah. How, how can entrepreneurs and employees remind themselves and stay true to the pursuit of congruence to be who they want to be in the world when it seems like all the systems out there at times are, are aligning to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I, and I don't want to give your listeners the impression that I don't ever stress out about anything, but again, I come back to, um, experience has taught me that stressing out over a lot of things is not going to change anything. 
Um, and so, you know, all it's going to do is wear me down and, and have me make maybe even poorer decisions. Um, I read a, a, a Seth Godin, you mentioned Seth on, on some of these, as his little short podcasts, or I'm sorry, his little short blog posts. And uh, I read something that I think is such a simple way to, to explain this is that, you know, the, the way to manage kind of um, your congruence is that, you know, to ask yourself, you know, is this work I'm proud of? I mean, that to, to me is, you know, is the simplest, is this an email I'm proud of? Is this a blog post I'm proud of? Is this a sales call I'm proud of? Um, and I think that's, that's, it doesn't mean that things are going to go your way magically and you're going to know how to pay the bills, uh, but you certainly will probably stay in alignment. And I'm sure there's also going to be, even if you do have that, there's going to be times where you're like, no, I'm not super proud of yeah, that, but yeah, I have to get right. it out. Like there's yeah, yeah, just yeah. sort of like the reality of it. Yeah. I, I find myself, you know, sometimes um, because it is so a lot of times you've got 10 things to do. You know, one of my greatest uh, examples, I think, were, were, you know, there are times when um, I, you know, I'll phone it in and send out an email and, you know, it gets, you know, zero response, <laughs> you know, no, no uh, uh, surprise there. Uh, and then when I write something that people know is me and they know that I'm being real and that, you know, uh, it's my voice. Um, I, you know, I will immediately get 10, you know, emails back saying, you know, that was really awesome. Or, you know, I really like how you said that. And it's just, I think people that I, I like to use email as an example, because it's so easy to automate it and to phone it in and, to, you know, put no effort into it at all. Um, but it, to me, it's one of the greatest feedback loops of like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I, I achieved what for me is my best work, you know, because people are telling me so. I love it. I've found in my entrepreneurial life that the only thing that got me through, especially in the early days was knowing that there are other lunatics out there like me. So like, yeah, the, sure. yeah. the, like connecting with another entrepreneur and talking is always just like one of my favorite things. So I'm just, I'm, I'm loving hearing like your more years of experience going through this and like how you've kind of kept your head on straight through it. It's like, it's very inspiring and I'm loving it. Who are some of the people that are like that for you? Like where, Who's inspired you? Who are some people you admire and look up to? Who do you turn to when like when you're not this version of you, when you're like the other version where you're like everything is crumbling? Like how do you keep yourself grounded? Who are those people? Who are the ones that inspire you? Sure. Well, so um we haven't we haven't talked specifically about some of the format of the book. Um, one of the things that I did in this in this book was I sourced a, a great deal of uh, mid-19th century literature. So Emerson, Thoreau, Hawthorne, uh, Louise May Alcott. Um, and, and for me, um, it based a lot on what was going on in America at the time, a lot of that writing was some of the first sort of counterculture. You know, you, we need to think for ourselves. To me, still some of the greatest um, entrepreneurial, you know, writing that, uh, that ever existed. Um, to, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, one of the things I discovered in doing that, researching that uh, body of work is, they were all friends. You know, they wrote letters to each other. You know, you think of these famous authors, you know, now, and we just think of them as, oh yeah, he wrote Moby Dick and, you know, he wrote the Scarlet Letter and, um, you know, she wrote Little Women, but they were all really good friends. Just, and, and that's something that, you know, it shouldn't have surprised me, but it kind of did. But, you know, I got into their letters and their journals and things um, and, and saw those connections. And I think that um, that still exists today. I mean, because of the, the virtual world we live in, the, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of authors and, and speakers, you know, end up at a lot of the same events. 
you know, the, 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 a lot of the people that are, I would call contemporaries, you know, and doing some of the same thing that I'm doing, you know, have been people that I've, I've really leaned on. I've, I've, even if it's from a distance, I have, you know, felt, um, mentored by, you know, them and felt, you know, uh, supported by them. Uh, you mentioned a couple names, you know, Peter Drucker, um, is one that, uh, that I've been a big fan of. Uh, Michael Gerber was really, in a lot of ways, his E-Myth book was really the genesis of my thinking about marketing as a system. Um, so he had a you know giant impact on me. Seth uh, Godin has been a, a true, you know, friend and generous uh, enough to you know write a blurb for I think at least four of my books uh, now over the years. Um, and so you know that 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 kind of community and the the way we're able to be a little bit connected by doing stuff like this, but then, uh, you know, still kind of have that human to human, uh, uh, connection when we get together at events, uh, you know, it's really been a great community to be in. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm a huge fan of everybody that you've just mentioned. Um, I, and a buddy of mine that, uh, he was my first employee at my agency. We have this conversation called who got to you first. And it's this idea that like your early inspirations are often kind of what shapes how you think about the craft that you're going into. Kind of to your point, like Michael Gerber shaping a lot of how you think of marketing as a system. Seth Godin and Mitch Joel are two people who, you know, for me were like very inspirational uh, in setting the direction for me. So uh, let's actually talk more about the book. I, I know I kind of went off on a bunch of tangents, but I want to talk a little bit about the book. I think that the layout of it is really interesting. So you've got it divided into four different seasons, and then each month has its own topic. So right. first question, um, you know, and and I hope you don't mind me reading some of the the seasons and the the months and what their topics are. But you go through planning, discovering, evolving, and growing. Yep. That makes perfect sense to me as a flow. Are all of the months ordered in a very particular way as well within those, or, or are they two separate systems? Are they overlapping? Just like, how does that work? Yeah, no, they're, to me at least, they were very uh, nested together. So the seasons, I mean, it's an annual book, right? It's a calendar book, January through December. So the, the metaphor of seasons, I think, is there obviously for the taking. But then each month, you know, trust and freedom and commitment and congruence, as we talked about, resilience and failure, grace. Um, each month, um, the, the subset of, of, you know, three months, I suppose, uh, f- to me, fit in the season. Um, you know, f- for example, trust is the uh, January theme. And I think one of the things that the, the first hurdle <laughs> that an entrepreneur has to get over is trusting themselves. Um, uh, enough to, to, is this, you know, idea stupid, you know, I don't care that people are telling me I shouldn't do this, you know, that's kind of the first hurdle. And so, you know, each of the months, the themes for the months do fit, did fit at least for me um, into the, the kind of stage or season, you know, that they fit in. I, I will tell you just from an organizational standpoint, I, I use the seasons to give the book a bit of a narrative arc, but when I started doing the research, every page uh, has um, a reading from this mid-19th-century literature across you know dozens and dozens of authors, and I just started digging in and reading everything I could about the transcendentalists and about that time period, and then certain authors, and I realized, wait a minute, I have no way to organize this. <laughs> you know, how am I going to? Am I just going to find 400 readings and you know throw them in a box and then you know pick them out? So when I came up with the theme structure, it actually turned it into a spreadsheet project, you know, because then I could collect 
readings around, you know, these predetermined themes. I could actually go looking for, you know, what did Thoreau have to say about love, uh, for example, and, and it really made uh, kind of the research uh, component uh, much more manageable. Yeah, I would say just the, the first thing that struck me about the book as much as anything else is like, what a beast of a task. <laughs> to organize it. Um, yeah, but so, so many things I want to ask you about it. So, you know, you've got July as the month is failure. Yeah. So I was going to ask you if there was a reason, like, is, was July always like your roughest month or something? Or that just makes <laughs> no. The, 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 the thing about these seasons is it's not like we don't go through these one time in our life, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, what I found is that these seasons have repeated. You know, I've changed my model. I've changed my direction. I mean, Lord knows, you know, marketing uh, tactics and platforms have changed that we've had to kind of get used to. So I, I feel like this is a never ending, you know, kind of flow of these seasons. Um, but what I find is that um, failure shows, shows up right in the middle. A lot of times people think failure shows up in the beginning, but, you know, we're, we're jazzed about what we're doing. We're discovering if it's going to work. We're finding our purpose, you know, and it's actually once people start feeling like they're getting a little momentum is a lot of times where like, okay, now you're trying to do this at scale. That's not going to work the way you want it to work, you know? And, and so that to me is a lot of times where, you know, that shows up, um, you know, and it, and, and, you know, failure is a big word. It doesn't ultimately, ultimately mean you crashed and burned, uh, but it may mean that you need to rethink what you're doing. You need to discover other opportunities and, and really the most, you know, I think resilience is, uh, is, is in that uh, uh, season as well. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs actually are able to reframe failure in such a way that it, it's a teaching lesson. It's not, I'm, it's not the world is bad. It's not this idea is bad. It's like this approach, people didn't see what I saw. So what can I learn from that? And, and that you know, level of resilience is ultimately, you, you, you either crash and burn you know, in that kind of stage, or you are resilient enough to figure out a new way to go. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's when you pass into that last stage, which uh, to me is, is where you then start thinking about you know, what difference do I want to make in the world? I love it. And uh, one of the questions I was also going to ask you, to, and, and I, was, I anticipated that you were going to say that about July and failure, that it was because I really do. These are very, these are all timeless. I mean, like you can go yep. January to December in each one of these in every single month, you within each month, you're probably going through yeah. all 12. Right. Um, so I guess yeah. the question would be if, if let's say I started a business on April 7th, should I start at April 7th or mm-hmm. start at January 1st? Because if there's, you should start started at, I was going to say you should start at April 7th. I think, it, you know, because next April 7th, you're going to be a different person. <laughs> and you can just start all over again. I don't think there's a, there, there, the, you know, like you could start, you know, we're recording, you and I are recording this in December. Um, you could start December 6th. Um, and there's, it's not like you're going to ruin the ending. <laughs> you know, it's because, because the way I view this book is, is this isn't a book you take on vacation and, and knock out, you know, this is a practice. Um, that, you know, if, and, and I know people will, um, I've already heard from people, some people read five or six a day and they jump around, they just go randomly, you know, to a page. But I think a lot of people will kind of work into um, their morning routine. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, have kind of gotten in that rhythm of, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to read, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to exercise, you know, I'm going to get myself ready so I can go out there and take on the day. Uh, so, so I wrote this book because that's a practice that I've done for years. And it just, this just felt this format felt like it fit into that for me. Do you have an audio book of it yet? Because I can totally see this as being like a morning, uh, like audio yeah. sort of routine. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm not really sure why um, this happened, but my publisher held the audiobook for a couple months. I'm not really sure. I've recorded it. It's out there and it'll be available, but it's going to be like February 1st. I, again, I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that because I, I do, I'm with you. I mean, I think, um, and it's not just me. I mean, you, you look at the best selling books right now, you know, the audiobooks right up there, you know, with the, with the print book. And in some cases, I, I think I read something uh, in the UK, um, um, recently that, uh, audiobooks have outstripped, uh, you know, the digital Kindle, uh, books in sales for the first time really since digital books came, came online. So, wow. um, I think that's just a format people want to consume content. in. Yeah. I've gotten much more into audiobooks recently. And, and I also find there's a certain connection you get with the author when the author reads the book that allows you to yeah. kind of, um, kind of that's right. get their style and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to tell you though, if I can complain for it, it's hard to read an audiobook. <laughs> it took, this book took me 22 hours wow. of, of studio time. Yeah. 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 So well, it's uh, on the bright it's, side. You have enough. It's tough. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's really cool. You know, nothing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Why don't we, uh, why don't we read one? We've been talking about, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the, the format. Let's, let's give your listeners, uh, uh, an actual like dose of it. Yeah. Let's do my birthday. May 2nd. May 2nd. Okay. So every day starts with a title for that date and then uh, a reading from, uh, some of the literature that I chose to source and then hundred words for me, 150 words for me, and then a challenge question. So I have no idea. I haven't pre-looked at this. Um, hopefully it'll be appropriate for you, Jeff. God, I hope so. May 2nd, owned impact. It is simpler to be self-dependent. The height, the deity of a person is to be self-sustained, to need no gift, no foreign force. Society is good when it does not violate me, but best when it is likest to solitude. That's from Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance, which was written in 1841. Many people start businesses because they want to impact something. They want to right some wrong. Still more, however, start businesses because they don't have another option. They know how to do something. Uh, they figure it's a decent way to make a living, and they come to embrace the notion of impact. The most potent outcome of being an entrepreneur is the impact that it provides you. In fact, the only way to change the world is to be that change in yourself first. You can't give something to someone you don't, you can't give something you don't possess. Become self-dependent. When you need nothing, owe nothing, become internally self-sustained. You can fully embrace the mark you plan to leave on others. Today, sit quietly and alone and think for a moment about the impact that you're having, the impact you want to have, the impact that you need to have. If you can start internally to be that impact, it will radiate externally. And your question today, when is the last time something really had an impact on your life? Did anything change because of it? I'll humbly submit that that is very relevant to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I uh, really enjoyed about the book, and I think why it functions really nicely as, as in so many different categories is that I found as I was going through it, some of the passages that you pulled out from, you know, these famous authors, I was like, I get it. Yeah. Like, like I get it immediately. And then yeah, right. there were others where I was like, 
I'm going to have to think on this. Like I'm going to have to really <laughs> spend some time mulling over what they mean. Because it was also some of these things were written, what, in the 1800s? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so the language is a little flowery. Yeah, yeah, or like, you know, it's poetry to a certain extent. Like you have to kind of yeah, yeah. like parse through it. So it's nice because it is a meditative process. Mm-hmm. And because these are short enough that you can really, you can read through it several times and you still have plenty of time to get to work. Um yeah, and and actually, one of the things I wanted to do is I didn't want to just come up with the Pinterest boards and the Instagram quotes. You know, <laughs> I really went deep, and so there are some. First off, there's some very little known authors. A lot of the female authors of the time, you know, weren't given the light of day. Uh, so I unearthed a, a lot of that that'll be new to people. But I dug into you know journals and letters and things that maybe you know didn't uh, you know they've been collected, but they you know they're more academic works in some cases and. Um, so I, I feel like uh, there are times when I, you know, I definitely went, I definitely give people the opportunity to go deeper into some of these, you know, authors that they may be familiar with. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an absolutely fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but like, as I, as I'm writing my book, I try to think a lot about like, what do I want to happen? Like, yeah. What do I want to happen next from it? And I'd imagine when you wrote your first five books, that it was kind of straightforward, more straightforward yeah. than with this, where it was like, I want people to read this, get value from it, and grow their business with better marketing. It was very direct. Yeah. What did you, like, what's your hope with this? Like, why'd you even write it? Like, where did that come from? I, I know part of it was that, like, uh, I remember you saying that you were looking for some inspiration yourself. So it was kind of a project yeah. for you. But like, what's the impact you want this to have for people? Well, one of the reasons it was important for me to write this now, and you know, not everybody's going to agree with this point of view, but I feel like we, as a, certainly as a nation in the United States, you know, are really divided, really fractured. You talked about some of the shadowy stuff and the the you know polarization and, and social media. I think entrepreneurs have always been a force of good, and I think that a lot of the literature that was written. Um, that I sourced in this book was in a time when America was in a similar uh, turmoil. I mean, we were on the cusp of the civil war. (coughs) Women were marching in the streets to get the right to vote. We were trying to abolish slavery. I mean, there was a lot of, of, Hey, we need to like take back, you know, who we are as, as a people. Um, And so if you want to ask me, the ultimate goal is that an army of self-reliant entrepreneurs will help us, you know, heal in some way and get back to a, a place where we're not so divided. Holy shit. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> all right not too big not too big is it? <laughs> I it i love it i mean look i can't think of a better way to follow that up i think that right there that's it <laughs> that's where I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that the point to end on um i think everyone should go out and pick up a copy of your book for sure the self-reliant entrepreneur and and i really think that they should also follow you and check out all the rest of the stuff you've done you've been putting in the work for a long time you're an inspiration i'm really glad we got the chance to finally connect um, now's the point in the show. I want you to just take whatever time you want to just talk about whatever you want to talk about. What do you want to promote? What do you want to tell people about where can people find you, where they can go be social with you, like all that sort of good stuff. All right, cool. So, so the book itself can be purchased anywhere you purchase books. I, uh, you know, I always like to put in a plug for that local corner bookstore. Hopefully you have one of those in your town still, but you can get it from any of the online retailers as well. And there's a digital version. There will be depend upon when you listen to this, uh, an audio version as well. If you want to hear more interviews like this and just check out more about the book itself, it's just selfreliantentrepreneur.com. And if you want to get a little peek into what I've been up to the last 30 years, it's just uh, ducttapemarketing.com. Uh, uh, it's D-U-C-T 
T-A-P-E marketing.com and I'm duct tape marketing on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and Instagram. And uh, funny, I was, I've been on uh, uh, Twitter so long that uh, when we, when Twitter first came out, you couldn't have a, um, you couldn't have your username or your handle as long as duct tape marketing. So it's just duct tape on uh, Twitter. Oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. This was uh, this was a blast for me. I, uh, I posted on Twitter before we even got on here that as I was like looking into you and reading the book and thinking about all the questions I want to talk to you about and your experience as an entrepreneur, I felt like we could probably talk for like eight hours. But I want to uh, I don't want to give it all away in the first uh, interview. So hopefully we'll we'll have a chance to talk uh, again in the future. If you write another book, I'd love to have you back on. And and I strongly encourage everyone to look at that and everything you talked about. I will put in the show notes. So it's very easy for people to get to it. If you're on Overcast, just swipe to the right. If you're on iTunes, do whatever you do on iTunes. Um, so yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, I guess I would say that this, uh, this podcast was a lot of different things, but I guess if I had to say it was one word, I'd say it was shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay. If you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcast, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look, and if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show, or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it, and this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you, and I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now.